In Jesus' name, amen. There is one spiritual question uh, that somehow I, throughout much of my life, avoided either being asked or, or even answering it myself. It's a, a good question, one that I think many of you have thought about and, and pondered over uh, before. And the, and the question is, where have you seen God working today? I know many of you have probably asked yourself that question. Maybe it's a question you ask around the dinner table as you do family devotions. Where have you seen God working today? Good question. Uh, maybe it's a, a question that you have pondered over as you've fallen asleep at night. Where did I see God working today? It's a good question, but for most of my life, I had never been asked it. If I did, I don't remember, and I certainly don't remember giving an answer. It wasn't un until I was in my mid-20s that I remember hearing that question, where do you see, where have you seen God working today, asked to me. Uh, I can remember where I was when I asked it. I was on my very first mission trip to El Paso, Texas, and uh, we would spend the days working hard, of course, uh, but then at night we'd come home and have dinner and we'd do devotions and we'd circle up and that was the first question that our time always started with. Where did you see God working today? And somehow, throughout all my life, growing up in a Christian home, going to Christian Lutheran school, in a, in a uh, Christian Sunday school, going to church, I had never heard that question before. And so when I was asked it, where did you see God working today? I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I mean, I believed that God was working today in my life, in our group somehow, but I, I couldn't point to where he was, right? If, if you had asked me where some of the people on my team were working, I could have told you an answer, right? If you had asked me, where was Carol working? What was Ellie doing? What was Chris working on? I, I, I would have been able to give you an answer. I saw Chris working today building a step and framing a door. I saw Ellie point, painting the side of a, a house. I saw Carol getting on her knees and teaching a Bible story to a, a group of little neighborhood kids. Right, That I could see. That I understood. But where was God working? I, I wasn't quite sure. I'm kind of embarrassed to think of what I, I said that day because I'm sure I made something up just to fit in with the rest of the group. But I remember thinking, I, I wasn't sure where he was. If you had asked me, where God was working in the Bible, I could have told you that too. Uh, the 20-something years of my life to that point, I was pretty good at that. I could see God working in the Bible, healing people and giving sight to the blind, raising the dead, stretching out his arms and dying for the sins of the world, right? I could look at the Bible and see, yeah, God is there and he's working, but what was he doing on a Tuesday afternoon in El Paso, Texas? I wasn't quite sure what he was up to. Uh, maybe I'm not the only one. Uh, maybe some of you have struggled to see where God is working today or some particular day. Maybe a particular week or month or year of your life. You're just not sure. You, you want to believe that he's there, but you can't see how and you don't know what he's been doing. Uh, it's hard sometimes to see where God is working uh, it's hard to see just in the regular mundane days, right? Nothing needs to be going wrong in your life to make it hard to see God. Uh, sometimes you've just been praying for something, maybe guidance. You, you want to know what job to take or, or what to study in school or what spouse to marry, right? And you're praying for this guidance, but you never get it. And so you wonder, where is God? What is he doing today? It doesn't seem like he's up to much of anything. Or, or, or maybe you, you don't need guidance because you've made your decision, but you're, you're praying for something in particular, right? And, and you want to know, or, or you're asking God to give you like that spouse or that job or, or, or whatever it is, acceptance to that school. And, and yet God seems to be saying no, or at least not yet. And that's hard. And so you, you look at your life and you don't know where, where God is working today. 
It's even harder when, when, of course, tragedy comes. There's plenty of that in our world today. And it's easy to question on a whole lot of days when you turn on the TV, where is God working? What is he doing today? It doesn't seem like he's doing much. Well, if you've ever wondered that, I, I think we could all listen to one of the premier theologians of our day. Uh, he's since passed, but you all know who he is. You've, uh, some of you have spent an awful lot of time with him. Uh, I think we could all listen to Pastor and Mr. Fred Rogers. Uh, you all know that Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian pastor, don't you? Uh, pretty cool. I look up to him in more ways than one, I guess. And this is what theologian pastor Mr. Fred Rogers would tell us when, when we can't see God, when we wonder, what is he doing today? Uh, Mr. Rogers often would tell his young audience on his, his program that when you see tragedy and when it looks like bad things is, is, are everywhere, Mr. Rogers would say, look for the helpers. Maybe some of you remember him saying that. He would say, look for the helpers. Look for that little glimmer of good in the sea of bad. Look for that shining dim light in, in, the, in all of the vast darkness. Look for the helpers because God is there in our lives, in the mundane and in the tragedy. He is, he's there, he's working. He hasn't taken a day off, but he's working and he's there through the lives of his people. Look, look for the helpers, Mr. Rogers would say. And so if I could go back uh, to that mission trip when I heard that question for the first time, where did you see God working today? And I scratched my head and I made something up. If I could go back to that day and, and re-give my answer, what I would say today is I saw God everywhere. I saw him through Carol who was teaching the Bible story to the kids on her knees, strangers she had never met. I, I saw God there showing compassion and patience. I, I saw God in Chris as he built the steps and framed the door, giving hope to that family. I, I saw him in, in Ellie as she painted the side uh, of that home. God was there. He wasn't absent, but he was working through people. That's how God loves to work, through people. <laughs> Everyday people, right? It, it's this way throughout the entire Bible. We, we see it going back all the way to the Garden of Eden, right, where, where he works through people. He could have watered the plants and taken care of the garden and named the animals all by himself, right? He didn't need anyone to do that, but he chose to give that job to Adam and Eve, right? He wanted to work through them, and, and that continues to happen today. It's a theme we see throughout the scriptures, and I think it really comes out beautifully in the book of Ruth. Uh, Wayne read for us a few minutes earlier just the first 17 verses of that book, uh, but I'm going to give you some homework today. I've been doing that a lot lately, I realize, but your homework today for this week sometime is to go home and read the entire book of Ruth. Uh, you could do it in one sitting. If you're a really speedy reader, you might be able to do it in 10 or 15 minutes. If you do it this afternoon, there's no Bears game, right? So we all have some time and you pour yourself a cup of coffee, kind of settle into a chair. Maybe it would take you half an hour at the most. But that's your homework. Go root, read the entire book of Ruth because it's an awesome, action-packed little story. There's, I promise, no big lists of names or genealogies, things like that. It's all action and it's a wonderful little book. And one of the things we learn in the book of Ruth in those four chapters is that God is active in his world, but he's working not through big miraculous things or dreams or visions, but through humble everyday people. Uh, I would like to 
summarize the story for you if I could. You're going to go home and read it, so this maybe will give you a little bit of context. But this is how the story of Ruth goes. In the beginning of the story, we have three main characters. We have this woman named Naomi. She is the matriarch of the family, and she is there together with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And, and this is a little family for whom tragedy has struck. Tragedy on the opening pages, opening verses of, of the book of Ruth is everywhere uh, and it's obvious. Uh, lots of bad things have happened to this little family. They've been struck by death. All of their husbands have died. Naomi's husband has, has died and her two sons, the, the husbands of Orpah and Ruth, have died, right? Which is a, a tragedy in and of itself in any society, in any culture. But th- these deaths put these three women in a particularly hard place. In the male-dominated world they lived in, it's not as though they could go online and, and find a house listing and put a down payment on and have a place to live, right? It wasn't that easy for them. They couldn't go on, in, on Indeed.com and find a job to put food on the table, right? These women, because of their loss, were vulnerable to the predators of their day. They, they didn't have a good way to provide for themselves. They were alone now. And on top of all of that, another tragedy has come and famine has struck the land. And so now, like, no one's eating, right? No one's got a lot of food on the table, but you can imagine especially these three women are going to have a hard go with it. And, and an easy question to ask in the midst of all this is, where's God, right? Where's God today, right? And if you ask them on that day, it would probably be hard for them to see. Uh, but the story goes on. And as the story goes on, Naomi comes up with this really good idea. She's a smart lady. She's got her head on her shoulders and she's thought this through and she's taken a look at, at the scene before her. And it's her idea that, that she, Naomi, the matriarch, is going to go back to her ancestral homeland. See, she's a Jew and, and her family came from Israel. And she's been living in Moab with her two daughters-in-laws and previous to that, all of her husbands. But, but now, in light of her circumstances, she's going to go back to Israel where, where people know her, where she has some family, where maybe she'll have a, a chance and, and a new life and a fresh start. And she's going to go back there and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, they're going to stay in Moab because that's their land where they have family and, and they speak the language. And, and maybe they in Moab can find a, a second lease on life, maybe get married and, and have some kids and, and I think we could all agree that this is a good idea. It's best for every party for them to go their own ways. They love each other. It's, it's not about that. It's, it's just that they each need a, a fresh start in life. And Naomi going back to Israel is, is what will be best for them. And so that's what happens. At least that's what starts to happen. Uh, Orpah, she hears Naomi's plan and, and she agrees. It's a good idea. She'll stay in Moab and, and do the sensible thing, the thing that would make sense to all of us. But Ruth... Ruth does something that I think is meant to shock us. <laughs> because Ruth doesn't stay in Moab where she knows the language and has family and, and understands the culture. She decides to, to go with her mother-in-law. She does the unthinkable. She goes to a land she's never been to. She's never even seen a picture of it before. She goes to this place where they're going to be speaking a weird language where the family won't be her own. And, and what she does is, is meant to awaken us. So if, if you're home today, You've poured yourself that cup of coffee, but it's the afternoon and you're reading the story and you get a little drowsy, right? This is the the part of the story that's going to wake you up, right? Because you're going to read this and you're going to think to yourself, who does this, right? Why Why would she do that? That is an amazing loyalty and love that Ruth has for her mother in law. She's not obligated to do this, she's not required at all, but she just does it because she loves her mother in law. It's ought to shock us. Um, 
I recently heard, not too long ago, a modern-day example of this. Uh, my wife was telling me about a doctor she knew who ended up adopting one of her patients, a, a little baby that she had actually previously delivered. She had given, helped give birth to this baby, and this doctor adopted that child, right? And that was an amazing to me. It shocked me in all of the, the best ways, like this woman didn't have to do that. She wasn't legally required to bring this child into her life. She wasn't morally obligated. If she had just called social services and helped arrange some foster care or something, right, we would all applaud her and say, you went above and beyond. But she went beyond that and she brought this child in and and absorbed all of the financial and emotional costs that came with that. that That was amazing. And that's what we see in Ruth, this devoted loyalty and love that doesn't make sense Uh, but a loyalty that does truly come out of love. And so the story continues. Naomi and Ruth, they they go to Israel. And yet, as you can imagine, uh, in Israel, uh, maybe life has a chance of being better, but it's still hard. They're still two widows in a male-dominated world. It's not easy. And and so what ends up happening is that Ruth, in order to just have a, a little bit of food on the table, she goes through the farm fields and she starts picking up like all of the scraps that are left behind by the, the harvesters, right? Like that's what she's eating. She's not living a life of luxury. She's eating the, the, the crumbs on the ground left in the farm fields. And, and yet it's while she's there that she meets this man named, named Boaz. And, and this is, as we're reading the story, and as the story begins, things are happening and you're like, oh, that's nice. That's a nice coincidence. But as the story goes on, you begin to see that God's hand is in all of this and, and nothing that's happening is just a chance because Ruth meets Boaz and as it turns out, Boaz is a relative of Naomi. And, and how families worked in that day is that families stuck together. They did things for each other. They helped each other. They relied on each other. And so here is this relative, right? Not luck, not chance, God working, bringing them together. And, and Boaz was even a, a more special relative because in that culture, in that society, certain relatives had a, a calling. Uh, they called them in that day kinsmen redeemers. They had these, the special calling certain relatives did of, of helping widows out like Naomi. And, and Boaz fulfills that calling. Right? He doesn't reject it. He doesn't throw it away. He he lives it out and he buys back their ancestral land, returning it to their family. And then he goes above and beyond and he actually marries Ruth, this Moabite woman. He welcomes her in. Together, they, they have a family. And all of a sudden, by the end of the story, you have this amazing reversal of, of fortunes. That, that the story started in tragedy, but now it ends in triumph. That, that it started with death filling up the pages, but now... There's life. Ruth and Boaz have a child and everything's been redeemed. It's an amazing story. And I haven't even told you the the coolest part about the story yet. The most amazing thing about the book of Ruth, and you'll notice this when you go home and pour yourself the cup of coffee and sit down and read it, the most amazing thing about it is that God is barely mentioned. (laughs) You will read the book and you will notice it's like conspicuous. His name is, is barely even there. Right? That's, to me, this is the coolest part, which sounds strange, but here's why I think it's so important and here's what it tells us. You see, you, you might start reading the book thinking that God isn't very much involved, right? You ask yourself that question, 
What is God doing today? And it looks like he's not doing much. But by the end of the story, even though you don't hear his name, it's obvious, it's everywhere across the pages that God is there and he's acting powerfully, that God is the one who has turned their lives around, that God is the one who has brought life out of death and and triumph out of travesty. There are no doubts about it. God is there, but he's working, not in some big miraculous way, not in the book of Ruth, not through visions and, and miracles, not through dreams, but through people. God is working through Ruth. She clings on to her mother-in-law, right? God is working through Boaz as he fulfills his calling, buys back that plot of land as he unites himself to Ruth. God is there and he's working and it is through these people that God is working but it's also through these people that he's revealing his heart. In Ruth, we see the very heart of God, the loyalty of God and the love of God as he sticks with us by our side, not out of obligation, not because he's required to but simply because he loves us. It's in Boaz that we see the heart and the character of God as he fulfills that calling and buys back that land just like God has bought us back from the wages of sin and death. We see God in in Boaz, his heart revealed, his character lived out as he unites himself to Ruth for a lifetime just like God in Jesus unites himself to us for an eternity. Right? God's name isn't mentioned, but it's obvious he is there, but he's working through his people. And that's what the book of Ruth teaches us. The book of Ruth says, look for the helpers, <laughs> like Ruth, because they're there, and in them you see God. But I think what the book also t- says to us is not just look for the helpers, but be a helper. Be a helper because someone might look to you and then see God. What the book of Ruth teaches us is that our lives are not inconsequential. (laughs) We are not here as Christians just biding our time between like coming to faith, whether that's through the word or in baptism and the end of our life until we go to heaven to Jesus, right? We're not just here to twiddle our thumbs and, and wait around to be with Jesus, right? No, God wants to work through us. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, taking care of the plants and naming the animals, God wants to use us to bring about his will and to have his kingdom come here. God wants us, like Ruth, like Boaz, to be a helper, to share his love, to reveal his heart, to shine his character to the world. So look for the helpers because they're there. And in them we see God, but be a helper because in you, someone else might see God. In Jesus' name, amen.